Welcome to Exit Pole Left. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Exit Pole Left. I'm your host, Jenny Floyd. And I'm your co-host, Cristal Figueroa. And A, we're just really excited to be here. Right? Yeah, this is yeah. something that we've talked about for quite a while, and we've finally got everything set up, and yeah. there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> More importantly, what hasn't happened in the year 2020? Pretty much. Um, good news? <laughs> like, I think that's where we are right now. Like, just good news. Uh, yeah, so in today's episode, we're going to, you know, hit on some heavy subjects, I think. Uh, first and foremost, though, I know that we need to talk about school openings and the general, you know, national response to the COVID crisis. And it's kind of insane right now. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we closed schools when we here in North Carolina, when we only had what, like 200 cases and it wasn't even in in Western North Carolina yet. There hadn't been any confirmed Western North Carolina cases at that point. No. Um, and now we're trying to reopen schools like whenever we have thousands, tens of thousands of cases for me is is ridiculous. Yeah, it's really kind of counterintuitive. And one thing that I will applaud our governor on is I think that he's handled this relatively well for not really having any you know, precedent to go off of. I mean, in comparison to all the other Southern, you know, yeah, Georgia, I, yeah. Florida, you know, yeah. You know, sure. Thankfully, he's not trying to impress Donald Trump. So. <laughs> uh, Donald yeah. Trump, we don't even want you in Charlotte. <laughs> right? <Thank> you. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad that we did not host the convention. Let's, let, like, let's be honest there. But, you know, he's made a couple of hiccups along the way. Um, and I don't know how a lot of people are feeling about this reopening plan. We went with plan B, which is a hybrid plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really think we were talking about earlier that, and I think that you were right when you said that he's really put the burden on the individual school districts. Yes, for sure. And I, and I don't know how they're going to react to this just because there are school districts like Henderson County, Henderson County school district is a lot more, uh, you know, conservative than like Buncombe County. So it's going to be interesting to see the different types of approaches to reopening the schools. I know like he put in different measures that if the schools did reopen, they have to stay like at least six feet apart, you know, that everyone had to wear face masks, that everyone um, had to, you know, practice social distancing, which if you look at our schools, I mean, they're not very big. No. So, and the classroom is not big either. So maybe a classroom can fit what, maybe like five students. If they keep correct social distancing, yeah, I'd say maybe five to seven students. Yeah. And so he said, you know, maybe alternate days, A's and B's, but then you're putting the burden back on the teachers, right? Because they also have to do in-person learning and remote learning. Yeah. So they have to prepare two different curriculums. And at the moment, they're underpaid. They're understaffed. They're under-resourced. Exactly. So Everything. how, how are yeah. we going to make this happen? It's going to be a mess. I will say, however, that I'm glad that we didn't take the approach that, say, Florida has taken. Oh, my goodness. Right? They're exploding in cases. And here, the state is sending out a memo to every school district <laughs> demanding that they be open for in-person uh, instruction at least five days a week. It's ridiculous. Like, I mean, that and they just opened Disney World. At this point, 
you know, get my parents out, yeah. get my brother out, and yeah. cut that shit off. And yeah. just let it, yeah. let, it, let, it like, yeah. let it go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... So, it's kind of frustrating. Personally, I think that we should revert back to phase one. No, first. Um, sure. I think that we should see that on a national level. I mean, well, the, the, the thing is, Jenny, that... I think we've seen with this COVID crisis, right, um, and I've said it before since the beginning, since it was barely starting, that the United States has definitely put its citizens against each other oh, yeah. in the fact that, you know, let's fight for jobs, let's fight for reopening the state, rather than let's fight for staying healthy, right? So it's 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 it has definitely shown us that in the, with the when the government wants the economy to reopen, it's going to make it happen. And that's and that is the key right there. And I think that so reopening schools is one of the main keys that need right. to be turned in order to reopen the economy. And that's why we're seeing the federal response from schools that we're seeing from Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. So Donald Trump's up for re-election. Mm-hmm. Unemployment is at like 11%. Oh, it's ridiculous. You know, and, and I get it. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, but he is really wanting to push reopening because then mom and dad can get back to work and there's no excuse. Mm-hmm. Betsy DeVos is a little more nefarious in this because she makes millions of dollars a year off of private schools. Yeah. She sees this as a prime opportunity to push school vouchers. Oh, 100%. Well, if public schools can't, you know, reopen safely, then, oh, the private schools will. So we'll just take the funding from public education, give it, it to the public. parents mm-hmm. in a form of a voucher, and then they can fund my private school. Right. So... It, Perfect it's, storm. Yes. Perfect and it's crazy storm. to me. Like, we see how other countries, especially in Europe that were hit really hard and they acted swiftly. Mm -hmm. They made sure that their citizens weren't suffering Mm -hmm. during the lockdown. You know, like universal basic income is something that should be front page right now as far as discussion is concerned. Right, right. And it's not even on the back burner. No, it's it's not not existed. (laughs) I think, you know, we have Bernie Sanders and a handful of Congress people that are talking about, you know, okay, we need to give our citizens $2,000 a month mm. until this thing is over. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, they're pitting us against each other. Mm-hmm. And even something as minimal as a mask. Oh, right. For like, sure. how politicized this is and how many videos have you guys seen where there's some Karen in Walmart having a meltdown because she has to wear a mask. Right. And to me, that just screams selfishness. Exactly. That's just me. It's... it's it's not, and that's the thing, like, I think it's not, the, the citizens don't even realize that they're being selfish whenever they say that because they believe they're politicians, unfortunately. You know, here in Western North Carolina, we have a 24-year-old running for Congress, you know, and he has Well, been, let's not dog on his age. You were 25. No, I know, I know. Let's not I dog know. on his age. No, we're not, we're not, and I'm not going to attack him We can dog on, on his, his age. ignorance. Yeah, no, 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 not on his age, on his ignorance. And that's what I mean. We have a, we have this 24-year-old, because I, I, I don't want to say names, you know. Um, His name's Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but vote for Mo Davis. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, no free, free publicity here. Um, what, what I'm trying to say is, you know, he was, he's running for Congress, and he's been seen in multiple locations without a mask, in mass gatherings, Again, politicizing a health crisis. 
And my question is why? Why at us as citizens have we actually let our let let that happen to us? Well, he takes cues from Trump, of course. 100%. Right? Like Trump flat out said that if you wear a mask, you're against me. Right. It took a hundred and thirty thousand dead Americans. <laughs> For this dipshit to put a mask on. Yeah, he just wore a mask, right? Yeah, like right? three yeah. days ago. But nobody's talking about that. Oh, it, you know, it's yeah. 24-hour news cycle. Right. But what good is it now? No. You know what I mean? When you have weaponized this simple thing that can actually save lives. Right. You've politicized it because you're up for re-election. Right. Like, I just... I should... I shouldn't be surprised. But but, but we are. Because yeah. I honestly thought that us as Americans in a situation like this, I mean, we saw 9-11, right? And we had a we had a Republican president at the time. Mm-hmm. And the American people got together and said, you know what, we're here for each other. I mean, how many people rushed to, like, to ground zero to go oh, yeah. and, like, save people? Yeah. You know? And I thought that that was going to be what we were going to see here at a nationwide level. Like, let's protect our children. Let's protect our elderly. You know, let's look out for one another. And yet that's not what we're seeing. Because it's an invisible enemy, it's not a brown person. Right. Exactly. Let's be honest. Yep. And it attacks everyone. And it attacks everyone. Yep. Indiscriminately. Yep. It's not that it's anti-American. No. Right? It's yeah. just trying to survive because right. that's what viruses do. Right. And it's an it, it's an invisible enemy. And so not only that, but we're seeing the result of decades of anti-science rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And we see Donald Trump trying to undermine not only his own coronavirus task force as far as his treatment of Dr. Fauci, but his own CDC. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what was it yesterday the news broke that the Trump administration has now ordered all hospitals to send their data to yep. the um, HHS instead of the CDC. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that Health and Human Services does not make their data publicly available, mm-hmm. which the CDC does. Mm-hmm. So I really think that this is an attempt to, and I I don't want to say cover up, but it is. But it is. I mean, like, it is. Yeah, it's an attempt to cover things up. And I wouldn't. I probably that would have been a, a like a, a a reach in other presidential terms. But in this presidential term, where he literally got in front of a press a press and said, "Well, if we we're, we're testing, therefore we have more data, <sighs> and if we stop testing, we have less cases." So like, you be like, "Oh, so if I don't take a pregnancy test, I'm not pregnant." <laughs> exactly. You know what right? I mean? it's like, what? <laughs> what? Um, yeah, so, I mean, this whole thing has really not only laid bare the weaknesses of this administration, but it's really laid bare kind of the weaknesses of our society Mm -hmm. and our economic infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see going forward because the thing about it is, is that once it gets cold and people have to stay indoors, it's just going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So if we don't get a handle on it right now... Mm -hmm. Come winter? Oh, goodness. I mean, our... And that's the problem, right? That not only are we going to suffer, but our, our, our medical services are going to suffer. Everything is going to suffer. I mean, the fact of the matter is that people think, oh, you know, our, our hospitals aren't at capacity or, or this and that. But we have to understand, accidents are still happening. Yeah. You know, your child still gets hurt. Heart attacks are still heart, happening. Yeah, heart attacks are still happening. You know, strokes are still happening. 911 is still... Uh, I mean, dare yeah. I say, essential? No. 
What? I mean, they are. So, like, you know, our first responders still still need help. They still need support. Yeah. Right? So, for our health care needs. So, like, it's just, it, it, it's going to continue going up. The cases are still going to continue going up because, I mean, just to walk down Main Street suffice enough yeah. to show that not only are we accepting tourists from Florida and Georgia, but also, some of our business owners aren't enforcing the mask rules. Oh, no. Oh, no. I've seen, and I think that this is the same across <coughs> the country, right? So, there are numerous states that have mask mandates. Mm-hmm. But there are numerous sheriffs that are saying we're not going to enforce it. Mm. Alamance County, we're looking at you. And Henderson County, we're, we're looking, looking at, at you. you. But also, you have massive corporations. I mean, today, Walmart just came out and said that masks are going to be mandatory in all of their stores. You know what's funny, though? Let me give you a small story here. My mom and I were shopping at Sam's, right? And Sam's is like a subsidiary of Walmart. And um, this was like early in the coronavirus pandemic, and we still didn't have any masks, you know, readily available for everyone, or still didn't make any cloth masks for that matter. And there was this white lady who was very angry at us for God knows, I don't know why. And um, she approached us and she said, starting Monday, you need to wear a mask in Walmart and Sam's or else we're not letting you in. I turned around and there was other people, obviously they weren't Mexican, not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were the ones that were targeted. Yeah, And, and that's the and, thing is like... We went through a period of time where PPP, PPPP, where PPE <laughs> was hard to come by, yeah. you know, and Dr. Fauci actually came out himself and said that he's sorry for what he said, because at the beginning he said that masks really don't work mm-hmm. and that people really shouldn't wear them. Mm-hmm. But in all reality, it was because they were terrified we wouldn't have enough for our, our, our hospital workers yeah. and our doctors and our first responders. Well, I'm sorry, but that is a key Example of transparency, mm-hmm. right? Don't mm-hmm. lie. You're going to get caught, and it's mm-hmm. going to make you look really bad, mm-hmm. and then it's going to make people question if what you're saying now is the truth. Right. Especially under this administration. Yeah. Right? Because, like, if it was another administration, they'd have been like, well, you know, this is what happened, and... Or, you know what? They would have been transparent since the beginning. Yeah. I mean, let's not let's not forget that President Obama went through the H1N1 crisis, mm-hmm. you know, and... He, I mean, for goodness sakes, did you get H1N1? No. Nope. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this kind of like, it wasn't this this big. And it, let's keep in mind that H1N1 was actually disastrous. Mm-hmm. You know, like COVID-19 is, is like, what is it? 40% deadlier than the flu. Yeah. But H1N1 was like 100%, like anyone who got it and wasn't treated in time, like for sure died. Yeah. So that's that's the he he was able to contain it. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the thing is that this crisis is a direct result of mismanagement. Oh, 100 percent. Like a lack of leadership. I mean, we have a narcissist at the helm here mm-hmm. uh, who's only worried about his financial gain. And I mean, he didn't even exactly. He didn't even expect to win the presidential campaign. <laughs> and now here we are, you know. <laughs> And I'm sure we'll cover Mary Trump's book yeah. uh, in another episode. For I'm sure. excited to get my hands on it just because gossip. Oh, 100%. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, so this, this entire thing is a result of mismanagement. 
selfishness and conflicting agendas. Yeah, and not only mismanagement and selfishness at the highest level, which is the presidency and his family, but also it has trickled down to local governments. I mean, I feel like what President Trump has spoke of um, you know, open this Pandora's box, mm. you know, um, because let's not, let's not forget that, you know, the civil rights movement wasn't that long ago, mm. you know, and, and some of those people that were screaming at the little children because the schools were getting integrated are still alive today. Yeah. And they're the ones screaming about having to wear a mask. mask. Exactly. So it, this and screaming about the Confederate monument. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, this President Trump's like, um, you know, rhetoric and what he's his talking points has definitely opened a Pandora's box into our past. And I see it happening in the new wave of these new people like Madison Cawthorn that are running for Congress that just talk about these talking points that are completely divisive. Yeah. Right. And they are completely against any type of American values that we might have. Right. Like, again, like. Outside of, like, God, guns, and... and what is it? Pro-life. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I was like, the yeah, one? You know, I mean, that's, it's like, yeah, you God, know, because guns, and glory, whatever. Whatever it is, you know? Because the last last time I, I checked, Jenny, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? But as an American, when times got tough, we stuck together, right? Like, as an American, like, if you're hurting... Or this is what I thought America was to me, right? Because... My parents are immigrants, mm-hmm. and my parents love this country, mm. and they instilled in me that this was the country that gave me the opportunity to go to college and everything. So last time I checked, being a United States citizen, being an quote-unquote American, meant that you cared for your community, meant that, um, you know... You've been lied. I know, and I'm just now realizing that, right? (laughs) You've been lied to. You know, and that's what I hear. Um, You know, I've been on multiple uh, segments with Mo Davis, right? And he's been really good at sitting down and us talking and and that sort of thing. But whenever I hear Madison just go on and on about socialism, about illegals, about you know, they're going to come and steal your guns and everything. It's just, I'm like, where the hell did they get that from? Yeah, but here's the thing is it works. Oh, 100%. It works like a charm. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of funny. It's more sad than it is funny. But from the party that is very much about being strong and brave, they are literally the most fearful oh. group of people <laughs> it, it the cognitive dissonance is astounding yeah. Yeah. uh but that's the thing is that these talking points they're flashpoints mm-hmm. and they work they rally that base and they get them excited and mm-hmm. when you have the president of the united states standing in a rally of tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. calling the uh chinese flu a hoax Right. And now you want to, and now you want to curve, uh, curve, what is it? Curve the line? Is that what it is? Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it was, it was so funny because his campaign manager, like the one time that Trump wore a mask in public, which was just the other day when he was going into Walter Reed Hospital. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, 
His kidney. Not to mention, he gets tested every day. Yeah. Okay? So yeah. for everyone that's saying, like, oh, you don't need to get tested, the president gets tested yeah, every day. Yeah, maybe he's part of the test that he's, <laughs> that he's talking about cutting back on. He's yeah. not being so selfish. Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but we need those tests. Yeah, too. please. Uh, but his campaign manager tweeted out, like, something along the lines of Joe Biden's going down now. And it's like, <laughs> listen... Like, you're terrified. Your rant in the Rose Garden yesterday, yes, you know, yes. uh, prove that you're absolutely terrified and that you're probably going to lose. Let's hope so. Yeah. I let's mean, hope so. Let's hope so. And, really? And, and, for, and, to, and to say that, I'm saying that in 2016, we were very hopeful that he was... I mean, everyone took him as a joke, right? Yeah, well, Hillary Clinton didn't do any favors of, because no. she bolstered him. Mm-hmm. I think that... The fact that you were talking about how President Trump and his rhetoric is really kind of pulling from the past, mm-hmm. I think that's a great segue into the next topic, uh, which is Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and, you know, as a Mexican-American, I have definitely seen the disconnect mm. between Black Lives Matter and the Latinx population, mm. um, you know, especially with what happened with Vanessa Guillen now. And I think they found another body at Fort, um, Fort what is it, Fort Hood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, um, if you don't know, Vanessa was <clears throat> the soldier that had gone missing. Uh, the Army had completely cleared out her bunk and tried to act like she had never been there. Mm-hmm. And they found her body in a shallow grave not far off base, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, and it turns out that a couple, I don't know, a couple weeks after they found her body, you know, the... the uh, commander sold I don't know about ranks but the person uh, uh, that actually you know abused her committed suicide oh yeah yeah you know? I heard. and um, so after what happened with Vanessa Guillen a lot of Latino um, community the Latino community you know rose up and said like what about her you know you had all these marches for George Floyd so when are we gonna have the marches for Vanessa Guillen um, but the thing is, and I think that you bring up a great point in that, is where was the Latinx community during the marches for George Floyd? Mm-hmm. These are conversations that that need to be had um, between all races of people mm-hmm. because the thing about it is, is that we, we all have to be allies, mm-hmm. right? We all have to realize that we have a common goal mm-hmm. and a common enemy, and that is systematic racism. Yep. And this infrastructure of inequity and inequality. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't reach out our hand and make allies, then we're not going to get very far. No, of course not. And what I try to tell the community is that the same system that failed Vanessa Guillen, the same system that killed George Floyd, the same system that deports our, um, you know, our people is one and the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one and the same. It, it, it's a system that was created by the white supre- supremacist, you know, that um, was created for oppression. Mm-hmm. Because our prison system was created after slavery. Oh, yeah. Our policing system was created after slavery yep. for the protection of property. Yeah. You know, and it was a segue into continuing slavery because now um, whatever type of law... As stupid as it may seem, if a person of color breaks that law, then you're put into prison, you're put into jail, 
and therefore you can continue picking those those cotton. You know, you can continue yeah, doing. you know, and that, that boils down to the Thirteenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know indentured servitude for yeah. people that are criminals, right? Which is just a continuation of slavery under yeah. a different name. Yep. And when you look at the demographics, it still uh, hits the black community the hardest. Yep. And <laughs> on the flip side, we have the Latinx community, which we see a lot of migrant workers mm-hmm. working in things like agriculture, which was needed. It was needed. And, of course, and, and yeah. the doors were opened. 100%. The doors by the U.S. government. Right. The doors yeah. were open in the 1930s, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. You know, um, and they were brought in, you know, voluntarily by the U.S. government because after the Dust Bowl, they needed people to come and, you know, co- cultivate the lands. Yep. And they opened their doors for the migrant community in Mexico to come and work the lands. And they were freely going back and forth until, you know, around, what was it, around the civil rights movement, they decided no more of this. You know, no more of this, the 1950s, no more of this. We, we don't need you we anymore. We don't need you anymore. But guess what? We still freaking need them. Yeah, because without them, you know, you wouldn't have your all of, all of your fruits and vegetables. Yeah, right? and it comes down to, you know, again, like you were saying, they're just different forms of control and oppression. So in the black community, we see our prison infrastructure and law enforcement really weaponized mm-hmm. against the black community. Mm-hmm. In the brown community, we have law enforcement, which mm-hmm. is ICE. Mm-hmm. And then we also have corporations, mm-hmm. which keep them in migrant housing, mm-hmm. which are at, at times deplorable conditions. They're paid sub-minimum wage. They're not given benefits. Like So it's just another form of oppression. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they don't have to come here. Yeah, but if your choice is to come here and even have the semblance of a chance of making it for your family, Mm -hmm. you're going to come here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Especially if corporations are like, yeah, you can come come work in our fields. We welcome you. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, we'll get you your visa. You know, it's all paid for. Come and work. And how many times have we seen, like, in Florida especially, you know, houses, migrant houses just going up in flames because of these conditions and people dying? Oh, yeah. But you don't see these things in the news. And, and to bring it back around, if you want a united voice against this, and you want black and brown and white people to right. stand up against this injustice, then we all need to show up for each other. Mm-hmm. We all have to be unified. I just spoke at a Vanessa Guillen protest last Saturday, and something that I said was that we all suffer the same, you know, injustice, you know, they took away our land as far as Mexico. They took away the uh, African-Americans' freedoms, right? But we have through our veins running hundreds of years of resilience, Mm -hmm. actively fighting against oppression that they will never take away from us. And if we as a community can't see that, you know, we have to look into ourselves and actually realize that we're we're the same, Oh, yeah. You know, we're not just because I'm Mexican, you're black or you're white. We're actually the same. We're fighting against the same oppression, the same injustice. And we have to work together because in during the Mexican-American War, if you guys if you're I know you're familiar. But for those of you that aren't familiar with the Mexican-American War, 
you know, President Polk had this magnificent, like, you know, thought about manifest destiny. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I, you know, God spoke to me, you know, you know, it's, it's our destiny to, to control all of this area. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he went over to Mexico and I'm very, I'm simplifying this so much. He went over to Mexico because Mexico was up all the way up until Washington state, like all of that area. And he said, Hey, we want to buy your land. And Mexico said, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, you can go back to your little 13 colonies. Yeah. So what did he do? He went in and he took the land by force. Yeah. And um, actually, the United States wasn't supposed to be, um, like, it was actually supposed to be, like, even further from El Rio Grande mm. until they signed the treaty, you know, that said, no, from the Rio Grande south was Mexico, from the Rio Grande north was going to be the United States. Um so in that war, you know, we had African Americans that were that were slaves fighting alongside Mexico because Mexico promised them their freedom because yeah. they said Mexico even said the president of Mexico said um, once they they were they were trying to get Mexico to enforce the runaway slave uh, act and Mexico said no once they come onto Mexico they're free people yeah. They're 100% free. We don't own anyone. And so African-Americans and Mexicans have been fighting against oppression since the beginning of this country, since the beginning of the United States. So my question is, why stop now? Yeah. And, and we can't. No. And I think it's an also important to talk about the position of white people mm -hmm. in this fight, right? Mm -hmm. So... I consider myself to be an ally, and it's Which is a really good one, too. <laughs> it's been, I don't want to say difficult, but it's been somewhat challenging to really kind of find my place, mm. right? As a woman, as a white woman, mm -hmm. as a, you know, I'm in my 30s, like, where do I fit in this puzzle? Mm -hmm. And the answer that I've come to is to put both my body and my voice on the line. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to take up space that is not there for me specifically to take up. So, for instance, at protests, you know, we see white allies stepping in front of black bodies mm -hmm. to protect them from police lines. That's our space to occupy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Doing what we can do to protect our black brothers and sisters or our brown brothers and sisters and also i think that it's vitally important that when we are occupying a white space without a black voice mm. that we are anti-racist mm. and that we say it yeah not colorblind no not colorblind not colorblind no 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 anti-racist and that we speak up against injustice when it's seen or heard or instead of balking and you know oh my god i can't believe that they just said that right it's like no don't say that like you realize you're being racist right now yeah call them out that is where our white voices belong mm -hmm. um and we're seeing things like here in Asheville, where the show is based we're taking down Confederate monuments. Mm -hmm. And the city is putting together kind of advisory boards, like mm -hmm. citizen advisory boards mm -hmm. on what should go there next. Mm -hmm. White people don't belong on those boards. 
I do, I, say it louder for the people on the White back. people. Mm-mm. Don't <laughs> sign up for that. That's not your space. <laughs> okay? Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, no. And I think, I think like, to, to even, like, further on that, I feel like white people don't belong in that space because white people were the people that put those up to begin with. Yeah, and we did it out of spite. Yeah. Like, we did it at the height of the civil rights movement, and we were like, screw you. Look at our Confederate general. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, no, white people, know your place, right? We have a place in this fight, and it's not up front, and it's not being the loudest. Mm -hmm. It's amplifying Mm -hmm. the voices of the black and brown people that are actually facing oppression. That is our duty in this struggle. Right. Uh, we have to use our entitlement, and it's an ingrained entitlement. We have to use our entitlement and our white privilege to give them a space to be heard and to be seen, and not only heard and seen, but given the mechanisms and the tools to instill change. Right. Right. So, and I think that that's... And lift them up. Yeah, you know? you've got to, we've got to lift them up. And I hope that we'll have a guest on soon uh, who can give us a little more insight into the black experience, especially here in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I hope, we'll see if that works out. I hope it will. <laughs> but, you know, and so that's one thing that, I think we really need to focus on is and also as a brown person where is your space yep in the black lives matter movement right you know how do you create that partnership that allyship so and it's not I I don't want to say that you're doing it only for selfish reasons so they turn out for you right right it's a stand of solidarity right across across the board there's got to be uh, a, a stance of solidarity. Yeah, it's it's not it's not of you're 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 more oppressed than I am. You know, it's not this game of oppression that we're that we're making. No, it's the fact that I understand you. Mm-hmm. You know what? I am not I'm not black, but I understand you because I've suffered this. I've suffered same same things. Sure. You know, in when I was seven years old, I think some of you have heard this, and I think I've told you too. When I was seven years old, uh, my dad was pulled over on our way to Georgia and um, he was pulled over and he was taken out of his out of our car at gunpoint I I remember turning around from our car from our truck and seeing three other police officers behind us pointing the gun at our car it was it was my sister me and my mom and I remember myself crying like why are they pointing these guns to my dad and they literally ripped him out of our truck my, my dad, this, keep in mind that I'm Mexican, we have lifted trucks as well. <laughs> they literally went in there and they pulled him out of our truck. Yeah. And they dragged him back to the police car. They stripped him, they strip searched him. For what? And then later, I don't know, after 15, 20 terrorizing minutes, thinking that they were going to take my dad away. My mom didn't know. My mom didn't know a lot of, a lot of English. Um, I thought they were going to take my dad. They were going to kill him. Something was going to happen. They all leave. And they leave my dad with no clothes on the side of the street. And all this all this police officer said, we mistake we we, we mistook him for a, 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 a drug ring that's going on. And that was my first incident of racial profiling yeah. in my life. Because my dad, he's Mexican, he has his sombrero, 
He has a typical, you know, uh, truck, like Mexican, you know, with chrome on the side and everything. Yeah, he was racially profiled. Yeah. They didn't even ask him what his name was. No, they didn't care. They didn't ask they him. They care. didn't tell him to give me your license. No, they just ripped him out yep. of the truck. And so my dad, thankfully, luckily, he wasn't killed because my dad always instilled in me um, that when a police officer comes and questions you, you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And so he didn't resist. He let that he he let them drag him. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that you know a lot of people have not resisted. And they've still been killed. Oh yeah. So he's really lucky. But he was the path of least resistance. Right. Yeah. Right. So he was super lucky that he didn't get killed that day. And I can still ha- and I still have a dad to this day. So I I don't know how it feels to lose someone you care about to law enforcement. But I can tell you that I understand that terror that you feel at that specific Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like as um, the Latinx community, we have to not only be there, um, you know, just in support, but be a partnership. Yeah. Be active. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, I I said it before, tu lucha es mi lucha. You know, your fight is my fight. Mm. And we're in this together. And if we're not in this together, that's what they want. 100%. 100%. They want us to be separated. Because if you are divided, you are weaker. Right. You know, it, it that goes across the board. Right. Uh, and they're goes... so scared that the white majority in like four years time, ten years time, they're going to be a minority. Terrifying. They're so scared about Absolutely that. Absolutely terrifying. They want to keep the United States white. Yeah. Well, too bad. We are not white. <laughs> We've never been white. We just had a lot of very loud, aggressive Anglo-Saxons that came over and decided that this was their country. Yeah. Uh, and speak and a little bit more about that. Yeah, speak a little bit more of that. Like, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, why can't we have a white, white lives matter? Listen, this is, I don't understand why this is so difficult for people to understand. We are the majority. We are perpetuating the oppression. <laughs> You don't get to say white lives matter right. or all lives matter. No, not, not when you are actively supporting a system that dehumanizes black and brown lives. That's not how it works. Right. Sorry. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard this slogan recently. Uh, it's popped up, I'd say, you know, since the George Floyd protests. And it may have been around before that, but I just wasn't privy to it. But it's like all lives can't matter until black lives matter. And yeah, like that. And that's the thing is like, well, black people and brown people can be racist too. And it's like, well, that's something that needs to really kind of been be uh, taken apart and broken down because my view is racism can, it's almost impossible for, for racism to be perpetuated by a minority. Right. And I, and what I'm, you know, and. And I look at I look at racism, not necessarily as an individual, but as a whole, but as a system, right? And you know, and I think we have to disen, like we have to take it apart even further, right? And talk about that white is talking about your skin color, yeah. Because what are you? Where are you from originally? Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, and where are your ancestors from? 
Wales and Italy. Exactly. So we have... You know, I'm a European-American. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. And, and you can be proud of being, you know, um, Italian. Hell yeah, I love pasta. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> and you nobody's know? saying anything about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and condemn, you know, the Irish. Yeah, right. But, you know, and, right. and that's one thing that I'm so tired... Well, they were Irish slaves. I'm sorry. Are Irish people still being targeted because of their heritage? Or is that something that we realized was stupid? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the fact that people are targeted because of their skin color is stupid too. Right. Because the fact that I have to sit here and tell you I'm brown. Yeah. Rather than I'm Mexican. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and that's a protective thing e- for you. Exactly. Exactly. Because, like, you know, you, you cannot be proud of being white. Because that exists in all different cultures, right? Even in the black and brown community exists. The lighter skin tone you are... The more the, entitled you feel. Exactly. Yeah. I and mean, the and prettier the, and the and, and the better jobs you yep. hold and the better positions you and hold. And think about that. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That we have formed this hierarchy based on skin color. Based on skin color. Like I can't my, it makes my brain yeah. melt because there have been people who would be categorized as intelligent perpetuate this. And it influences other people, mm-hmm. and it continues. Yeah, and it bleeds into policy, mm. and it bleeds into housing discrimination, mm-hmm. and it bleeds into employment discrimination. Mm. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't like get I really, we we have been so conditioned. Yeah, somebody at some point, you know, wrote down a lesson. <laughs> And said, the whiter you are... The whiter you are, the better you are. And baby, it's stuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it's stuck. And I just... I don't... I simply don't understand it. And the thing... And, I, and I'm going to come off as harsh, but true, I think, mm-hmm. is that the people that perpetuate this are not only fearful, mm-hmm. they're ignorant. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I simply don't have patience for anymore. Mm-hmm. It's 2020. You have a computer in your pocket. Pull it out mm-hmm. and do some research. And when I say research, I don't mean look at just Fox News or just CNN. Look at some academic research. Google Scholar. Like Google, Google Scholar. I don't think they've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great resource. You can pull up all kinds of academic papers uh, unless you think that colleges are, you know. Liberals. Uh, not only liberals, but like communists and indoctrinating. Yeah, they're yeah. Well, education in general is indoctrinating. Come on now, that's why we don't teach about certain things in elementary and middle school history because hmm, who wants to teach our white kids about Black Wall Street and oh. how we, you know, uh, mm-hmm. burnt that down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so but yeah, you know, and that's the thing that I simply and I hear it all the time. Well. They're older. Mm. It's just, it's just, you know, their generation, and that's what how they grew up. I don't no. care. Watch me. I don't care. You're a grown man, a grown woman. You've gotten this far in life. Educate yourself. Yeah. Don't be afraid that you're gonna find an answer that goes against your bias. Make one of your accomplishments be, hey, I realize I had some, you know, prejudice in me, and I fixed it. <laughs> but admitting something yeah. like that is yeah. a weakness. No, and you know, I had a, I had a college professor, uh, you know, and Dr. Crystal, if you're looking at this, you know, <laughs> um, I had in, in, at UNCA, and um, 
she she wasn't even a full-time professor because that's another thing uh, right yeah we'll talk uh, about that at some point I'm yeah sure. so anyway um she wasn't a full-time professor but she was talking about this about exactly this that we're talking about the fact that as a white person she had some prejudice that she all that she just had because she was white mm-hmm. right she said i had to unlearn that when I pass a black man on the sidewalk, I don't have to clinch my pocketbook tighter. There's actually a story uh, called uh, Whistling Vivaldi. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this? Mm-hmm. And it was about a black graduate student who would whistle Vivaldi, like classical music, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make white people feel more comfortable on the oh, subway. Oh, yes, yes. Because women would clench their purses and their pearls when he would walk by them or stand next to them. So he felt that, you know, whistling classical music, which is seen as being cultured and educated, would make them feel more comfortable. And, and it happens. Yeah. I mean, listen, I work daily to overcome that. Mm-hmm. I catch myself. I catch myself all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not even something that I think about. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's just inherent. It's, it's like subconscious. It, I've, been, it, I've been conditioned. Yeah. But yeah. the difference between me and some others is that I freaking realize I've been conditioned. You're aware. And I work hard to fight against that conditioning and to realize that it's freaking illogical. Let me tell you, there. It, it, this is happening right now. All right. So if anyone at Edneyville is looking at this. And, and we're talking about Edneyville, North, North Carolina. Carolina. If anyone in Edneyville, North Carolina is look, is watching this. Listen up, because this is happening right now where I'm living. There is this uh, this girl that is trying to pay her way through college. Okay. And her name, well, what she does on social media is Alondra, the book, the book girl. Okay. And she goes around door to door selling books cool. for your children. Yeah. Like, and she has Spanish books, so I'm like, perfect, you know. Um, Alondra, if you're watching this, like, I still need to get with you. So, um, <laughs> anyway, she goes door to door, right? And all of a sudden, I start seeing my news feed, like, just, like, start popping up with everyone being so hateful towards her. And I, and I told my mom one day, and I was like, I bet you, if this was a white kid... She'd be on the news. Oh, she'd be on the news. She'd be on the news. As paying her her way through college. Yeah. There is people on this, and Alondra, like, you don't have to see, you don't have to hear this, you know, from now on, because I don't want you to feel bad, because we love you, girl. But, um... There's people that literally say, if she comes near my house, I'm calling the police. Like, if she comes near my house, like, I and there's no people that said, I've slammed the door on her, and she she threw a hissy fit. How dare she come to my house? This and that. I have mul- I have tried multiple times to, like, comment on these threads and be like, she's very polite. As a matter of fact, she is. She doesn't even get in your face. She stands six feet away, <laughs> right? And she's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm with the school board because she is. She's selling books to try to pay her way through college. And I'm like, seriously? Some lady even said she asked to use the bathroom at my house, and I said, no, screw you. So much for Southern hospitality. And, and that's my, this is happening right now, right now. And I know, no surprise, Crystal, we are living in Trump's America. Right. Right. This is a result of Donald Trump. Yeah. 
an exact result. Because, again, if she was white, she would be on the news as a girl trying to pay through college. 100%. And she would be praised, mm-hmm. and she would be invited to churches, yep. and she would be, you and, know... And everybody would be giving her donations. Yeah, everybody would be giving her donations. A GoFundMe and, would set up, be set up. Right. And, and it's not. she's brown. Yeah. She's brown. And why the hell... Because she goes to San Diego uh, to college. And she's like, why the... Don't, can't she sell books in San Diego? Well, shit, last time I checked, they weren't giving classes in person. Yeah. Like, she shouldn't be in San Diego, actually. Yeah, and I'm like, being a first-generation college graduate, I know how hard it is to go through school without having the support of, like, the the financial financial support, you know, mommy and daddy. Sure. So, I understand, and I'm like, I praise her for it, and I'm like... At least she's doing something. Exactly. I mean, they can't complain that she's looking for a handout. Oh, Oh, but they will, right? Well, they will, but I again. This makes me so angry. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's happening right here. Yeah, it's infuriating. It's like two steps forward, fifteen steps back. Yeah, you know, it's it. There is no, and we're past the point of this being a logical conversation. No, I mean it has to be a. a I don't. I hate saying this word, right? I hate saying that it has to be a radical change because it's not even radical, right? It's no. it's treating every human with equity. Yeah. The sad thing about that is that's radical, right? That's considered radical because whenever you talk about, you know, I, I say treating every human with equity. Everyone that's like all lives matter. That's exactly what I want. All right, then. Then we have to change systems so that. Our black and brown people can be treated with equity. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, that's not That's not it. That's no. not what we want. And listen, all lives matter people, because we know that you're the same people complaining about wearing a mask. Oh. So all lives matter until I am uh, inconvenienced mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. Because right now, wearing a mask isn't for you. It's for other people. Yeah. So shut your mouth. About all lives mattering. Because you can't even muster to put a piece of cloth over your face for your fellow Americans. And there and, and listen, you guys are the same pro life people. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Like so, I mean, this, so let's, this let's go but, there. But now they're but now they're walking around with my body, my, my choice. Like, like, it's oh gold. My God. Like it I is cannot, absolute gold. I cannot. Because whenever you say pro life, I think they mean pro fetus, right? Yeah, well, see, or or, it's, or, it's or maybe just Jesus. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. if we're really okay. boiling it down to, I mean, you know. And, you got me on that one. You got uh, me. It's Jesus who was, if he existed at all, uh, a very dark-skinned socialist. Right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's he, white Jesus. White, that he didn't even, that, that, that white Jesus didn't even exist. No, no. No. No, and, but the funny thing is, is that they don't want to admit that Jesus has been, like, Europeanized and right. painted white. Right. Uh, when their own book, I can't go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I digress. Right. Anyway, <laughs> yes, these are the same. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No. These are the same <laughs> pro-life. You know, pro-life. All lives matter. People that can't muster up to the, wear a mask. Uh, yeah. The kindness. The what's the word I'm looking for? Humility. I don't know. You think I want to wear a mask? Well, it saves the makeup, so I don't mind it. <laughs> but no, I don't want to wear a mask. No. I have to wear a mask for seven hours at work. I don't want to. I'm running around. I'm busy. 
I don't, I don't, it's uncomfortable, but guess what? My discomfort is less important than somebody else's life. Yeah. It's that simple. It's that easy. And they're the same people that want our schools to be open back up. Well, yeah, they're the same people that, you know, here in North Carolina and I know in Florida and a couple other states, we had like organized reopen protests yeah and then the leaders of the north carolina one ended up testing positive for covid19 hashtag winning um yeah like it's just it's they want to be selfish that's the thing they want to be selfish and they want to be able to get away with being selfish and damn you if you have something to say about it i think we should change the slogan to my rights matter yeah like your rights don't matter yeah Mine do. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever's inconvenient to me. me. Well, and that's what these people don't understand. Your rights end as soon as somebody else's rights begin. I know that is a difficult concept. Especially in a nation where the right, where rights aren't necessarily equal. No. Right? Yeah. Because women... Right. Uh, black people, black, brown people, because not included in our constitution. Right. And as, as, a, as a minority, right, I can't enjoy my life in my house in peace because anyone, any white person can go and file a complaint against me and the cops are going to roll up into my house and yeah. just ask questions, search if they feel like yeah. it because they have some sort of probable cause to do so. Do they, though? Yeah. So, like, you know... Our, the rights are not equal across the board. No. Right? Should Probably, maybe the best way to say it is my white rights matter. Right? Yes. That's maybe yeah. what it should yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My white evangelical rights trump your Mexican, <laughs> even though you're an American. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, no. They trump black rights. Right. They trump Hindu rights. They trump... Oh, they sure trump Muslim rights. Oh, 100%. And they really trump atheist rights. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. there's no, something wrong with you. Oh, there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, you're right. It's this... And, and, it, and it comes... Really, it comes back to our, like, puritanical roots. Yeah. Which... Why? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. if you really look at our founding fathers, they weren't Puritans. Mm. The mm. the people in the Mayflower were, mm-hmm. but they sure as hell didn't form a government. Mm-mm. Sorry. Uh, they, you know, they, they didn't, didn't want... They didn't want a religion. Like, they didn't want a religion. The founding fathers? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. No, they no, didn't. No, they, most of them were deists, which... Like they believed in a creator, but not one that counted the hairs on your head. Right. Like they. That. Why is it so hard for us to understand? Like this nation was created by God. No. No. Yeah. That's actually the the opposite. Um, if you read the First Amendment. Yeah. And I mean, read it. Like you may want to read the second one too. There's a nifty little line in there about regulation that might spawn your interest. Right. But no. Yeah, you're right. Like. And I know that we're kind of going on a tangent here, but it, it, I mean, but if you look at it, it all connects. Right. And that's the problem. I think that we're seeing in, okay, so, and I was thinking about this the other day, right? We're out, we're screaming, we're loud. You guys, you know, you've gotten a group together to go protest the mm-hmm. killing of the soldier. We've seen Black Lives Matter movements. And, but what do we do once we're done yelling? Mm-hmm. 
you know, where does the organization of the groups come into play? Mm-hmm. When are we going to change policy? I mean, we've seen time and time and again that disruptive protests have created change. People say, and oh my God, I love it because, you know, Cawthorn even posted a, a post about Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. and about how it was so peaceful and, and, you know, hate can't draw out hate and stuff like that. What they failed to mention is that they dogs were thrown at them, right? Attacked them. Yeah, 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 they were sprayed with fire hoses. Right. He was shot and killed. I mean, they were beat <laughs> with like bats yeah, and whatever the hell they, yeah. they had at hand. Oh, and, and and really interesting. They were they were killed. No. They were hung. Were they? Oh my god! Like they were hung, and there was Mexicans that were hung too. Like, they were hung on the side of the street, and there was a spectacle. Yeah. Like, done. I was cheered. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, they weren't peaceful, y'all. Like, the MLK protests, the the organizers of the MLK protests literally got together in the church's basement to prepare for the protests. Mm-hmm. And... They had to train people yeah, on, how on to what take to it. do. Yeah. How, how to, to take, take it. it. How to take people spitting in your face. Yeah. How to take being beat down. How to take being water hosed down. Like, they had to train them. So, they were everything but peaceful. And even, here's the thing. Even if they were peaceful. And what we've seen over the past four or five months uh, has not been peaceful. But there's not because of the protesters. It shouldn't necessarily be peaceful. No. Uh, But regardless, even... We've seen, even in front of the White House, the President of the United States had peaceful protesters attacked. There was um, the young the young man in Elijah yeah. that was killed. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw the response to peaceful protesters mm-hmm. uh, that was in response to the killing of Elijah McClain mm-hmm. in Aurora, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Young gentleman, he was 23, he had a blood disorder, and he got cold easily, so he was wearing a ski mask, again, Colorado, Um, and somebody called the police, said that he looked suspicious, the police came out, you know, it's just, if you haven't heard the recording, I can't tell you to go listen to it, it's absolutely heartbreaking, Yeah. but, you know, these protesters came out, and one of his favorite things to do was to, to play the violin. Yeah, to go to the animal shelter and play the violin for the cats there. And recently, a lot of musicians came together in a park in Aurora, Colorado, and were literally just playing violins. People were sitting on the lawn. It was a very peaceful demonstration. And the cops show up in riot gear. Mm. So who's provoking this situation? Yeah. And I think that... Uh that even gives me the goosebumps just thinking about it and just you know replaying it in our heads because again you know it's this it's the system that was created to enforce property the rights of protection of protection of property it was not it, it was not used to enforce the protection of people it was not used to enforce the protection of your of your quote unquote rights it was made to protect property right and with those properties obviously slaves and everything and um 
it's it's horrifying it's, so it's really it's horrifying that we see that these issues continue you know and and i guess to to wrap it up and i guess a little bit of good news right is the supreme court case that actually happened up there in oklahoma um that basically made it i don't know what's the word well they really kind of reinforced that's it yeah they they reinforced the fact that uh, three million acres in eastern Oklahoma, including much of Tulsa, uh, is in fact Indian reservations. It, the, the area is shared by five different tribes. And this is something that has been on the books for generations. But again, uh, we want to forget, you know... Uh, that people lived here? Promises that we've made as white people... Uh, you know, and we want to act like we, oh, it doesn't matter what we said. It doesn't matter what we signed. It doesn't matter what we promised. We're going to overlook that for our own convenience. And I'm glad the Supreme Court, uh, really stood up and said, no, sorry. Yeah. If you look at the treaties and you look at what was promised, uh, in their words, uh, three million acres, most of Eastern Oklahoma is Indian country. Yep. Which, if let's get technical, you know, all of the United States is somewhat Indian country, you know, and Mexican. But, you know, I'm glad that it's a good first step into the right direction. There needs to be a lot more, I mean, considering the fact that North Carolina, you know, North Carolina was once the biggest, like, the biggest reservations, you know, or this is where the Cherokee Indians lived, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day. And we still have the Cherokee reservations out in Western North Carolina. Yeah. Um, definitely not as big as what they're supposed to. No. Definitely not as good and funded as they're supposed to. Yeah. It's, but, I mean, that whole thing is, the. it's a very interesting relationship. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's very heartbreaking mm-hmm. to see the state that a lot of Native American people are living in uh, as far as, you know, the funding, the social services, you know, the, the, there's a lot of depression and despair, which leads to addiction. And it's just not a good, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, it's just not a good scenario right mm-hmm. now. Uh, so, but it is uplifting to see the Supreme Court uh, acknowledge yeah acknowledge their right to that land right now currently it only deals with criminal prosecutions in in the region right but as we know uh as supreme court cases go and as uh courts in general function we'll see this parsed out more in the future yeah. and we'll see if this applies uh to areas outside of oklahoma because right now it's very oklahoma specific mm-hmm. And we'll see how this kind of changes our relationship with the Native American people. I mean, we we just got news that the Dakota Access Pipeline, right. you know, has received kind of a legal order to cease operations, and which is great. Mm-hmm. But also look at what was done mm-hmm. to the Native Americans uh, in Dakota oh. when they were fighting this pipeline. And there was actually like paramilitary people brought in there were private militias brought in that were hired by the pipeline and these were armed people i mean it was just atrocious the way that that they were treated again it comes back to a system and i was having uh 
a pretty interesting conversation with one of my friends last night. He is a older white gentleman, mm -hmm. pretty affluent, you know, and he's a successful guy. And he brought up how the conversation around defunding the police makes him sad. Mm. And I was like, why? You know, because if you really understand the conversation around defunding the police, the majority of people that are talking about defunding police are, A, not talking about abolishing the police, mm -hmm. and they're also talking about taking that funding and putting it into things like social services. Like education. Which will actually uplift the community. Mm -hmm. But he was saying that he's, it makes him sad because law enforcement is for poor people. Because rich people live in gated communities. They have private security that protects their property. No more forest. We're looking at you. But I looked at him and I said, it's been weaponized against poor people. It's not there to protect poor people. It's there to protect rich people. And it's there to oppress poor people. Mm -hmm. Because that is the function of the police. To, like, to yeah. show poor people where their, their, their spot is. Where you belong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and yeah, it's asset protection. It's property protection for wealthy people. But to hear that he was like, well, you know, the rich, the rich people don't need the police. The poor people need the police. Well, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But we that's do. not the way it's working. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a weaponized, militarized force against poor communities. I mean, I was just coming down Asheville one night, right? And, um... I was behind an Asheville police, uh, I guess an Asheville police, and um, literally, you know, it was right in front of the Thirsty Monk. Okay. You know, there's like a little mini park right there, like, there's like a little plaza yeah. right there. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this police officer, uh, I don't know what they were probably doing, and you could tell these people, you know, pr probably homeless, and he literally flashes his lights at mm -hmm. them. And just goes off to the side and is like, what's going on here? Yeah. Automatically. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, you're in a car. Yeah. First of all, you're flashing like like this big-ass light, kind of like the one we have right yeah, here. Yeah, spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to these people. Of course, they're going to get scared and run the, uh, the opposite direction. Yeah. Hell, if I, I would, yeah. too. Like, Be like, I'm not doing anything wrong, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm doing yeah. something wrong. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm Bye. out. Yeah, even if I was just shaking your hand, yeah. you know? Um, and Lord knows there's times where I'm not good, well-dressed as I am right now. We bum it. Yeah. It's all right. It's Don't okay. be ashamed. So, like, you know, if that would have been me, I would have run the opposite direction, too. Yeah. And he just stood there and literally was just kind of, like, interrogating them. Yeah. Well, and, and that's because we've criminalized poverty. Right. We've criminalized homelessness. Right. You know, and when we could yeah. fix it. We could fix homeless oh we could yeah we could mm -hmm. but we don't want to. again it goes against the very nature of the system right the system is not broken the system is functioning exactly how it was designed to function mm -hmm. and that's the problem mm -hmm. it wasn't designed and that's why i get so frustrated with all these trump supporters that actually need the system to function correctly for their support for their own well-being mm -hmm. social security medicare um you know you we need those things in place because there comes a point in life when we all need each other sure right and damn it i'm paying taxes we should have systems in place to take care of our most vulnerable yes 
And that should be a very American virtue. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. Because we believe in God, don't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and also, on that note as well, it's not only Trump supporters. No. It's wealthy white liberals. Yes. You guys, I got a problem with you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do, because... A, they use Trump, especially in the time we're living now, they use Trump as a scapegoat for everything. They act like if we get rid of Trump, we get rid of the problem. We don't. No. Uh, B, they want to talk about inclusion when that's the last thing they want. Like, they are full of hot air. You can see it, you know, when we were campaigning, we're two young women, she's brown, I'm not, but we're young. We're both, you know, relatively first, young. First time running. Yeah. You know, first time running. And for... We did have now the parties. Like. Yeah, for, for us, it was really the first time interacting with a lot of these people. And we've heard this from other young elected officials as well. Mm-hmm. That as a person of color, which she is and he is, that they felt uncomfortable standing in the Democratic headquarters because of their skin color. Yep. Or that people are looked down upon because of their income Mm -hmm. or their age. And it's like, you cannot sit there and pretend to be the party of inclusion. And exclude everyone that does not look like you. Yeah. Or everybody who doesn't have the same economic standing as you. Right. And that's, I feel like, you know, I, I... There's something that we talk about that as a as a brown person, I had to defend my title. I had to defend being a candidate. You had to defend taking up space. Right. I had to defend it. Yeah. And I had to defend my speeches and I had to defend who I was and I had to defend where I came from because somehow or another, I wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't worthy of it. I wasn't worthy of, you know, um, if I didn't stand up there and explicitly say I have a political science degree with a legal studies minor, you know, and I'm a bilingual, I speak Spanish, and I've been working with immigration attorneys, and I've had a history of working with um, children with learning disabilities, and my parents are both small business owners, and I've been a yeah. longtime resident of, the, of North yeah. Carolina. I mean, I was born and raised here. I was not worthy of their time. Yeah. You know, and that's what it felt like. It felt like I had to constantly defend myself because, again, you know, I will never be equal with a person like me, even if they had the same characteristics or even less. You know, maybe they didn't even go to college. Mm. Maybe they weren't born and raised here in North Carolina. Maybe they aren't bilingual, but just the fact that they're white right it changes the it volume. changes everything it changes and the i have to be 10 times better to just be equal mm-hmm. not to beat them no just, just be stand on equal, equal ground and it, it it's funny looking back because they could never get your name right no which not that difficult it's figueroa mm. In white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, since then, I have really come to terms with, I'm like, you know what, if you can't say my, my last name correctly, it's not my damn fault. No, but that's the thing, is that they didn't even try. No. And it would get to the point where, like, they would mispronounce it, and I'd be like, Crystal, say your last name. Yeah. <laughs> like, immediately, I'm Crystal Figueroa. Yeah. Like, it's not that difficult. You don't even have to roll in the R's. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. But it was, it was just Stuff like that where they would become almost exacerbated yeah. that they had to say a name that wasn't 
white, right, and European, and it's, those are, and I, I really don't like the term, like, microaggression, no. but that's, like, micro-racism, mm-hmm. you know, like, you can't even take the, this woman is running for state senate, she's a legitimate candidate, she's busting her butt, and you can't even take the time to learn her name. I was uh, fearful for you from the very beginning just because you are Mexican Mm -hmm. and you're a young woman. And I was terrified that, you know, we're running in a super red district Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of Trump supporters Mm -hmm. and hate crimes are on the rise and ICE is present in Henderson County. Like, there were a lot of stressors and that was me just worrying about it, not even actually having to live it. (laughs) I could imagine actually having to live through that kind of thing. I couldn't imagine being pulled over and worrying about my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the main thing I worry about is, am I going to get a ticket? Yeah. That's, that's the extent of my worry. Right. You know, I got pulled over. This was years ago. It was in South Carolina. I got pulled over by a state trooper and I was young and I was shaking and he's like, why are you shaking? And I was like, I don't like to get pulled over by the police. And that was it. He didn't further question me. He didn't pull me out of the car. He didn't, there was no pressure. Yeah. It was, oh, okay. Yeah, fine. That's fine. Here's a warning. Yeah. And, you know, this. the direct opposite happened to me. I mean, I was just, I had just graduated college, right, last year, 2019. In, in January, I had just graduated college. Um, I was, you know, making ends meet, trying to pay off all my bills and stuff like that. Because, again, my parents, like, they're barely making ends meet. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't like stress on, um, put stress on them for all my bills. And here I come, here I'm driving a speed limit, put it on cruise control. And I'm going down towards Columbus and a state trooper literally gets eye to eye with me. Turns over, looks into my car and sees who I am, gets behind me for like a couple of minutes. And then I guess realizes that my tag is expired pulls me over and I was like I was going speed limit like what's going on he says your tags expired and I said all right that's cool you know I'll fix it no big deal he goes back he says your tags expired and here's a ticket and here's a ticket for the insurance here's a ticket for this here's a ticket for that and just like goes down the line and then I'm like all right but my job is like literally five minutes down the road can I go no I had to call my supervisor to come and pick me up. See, and that's not even the way that it should work. Right. It should be, okay, get it fixed within 30 days and then show the magistrate that you've gotten it fixed and everything will be dropped. Right. That's how, I mean, I've had that done. I've had an expired registration and that's literally all I had to do. No. Yeah, and I had to go to court. I had to get it fixed, go to court. And then I realized that I had forgotten to go to court, right? And here I am freaking out and I'm like, there's going to be a warrant for my arrest, everything like that. I call them up. They say, no, since it was just your tag, there's not a warrant, but your license is suspended now. And I said, shit. Yeah. Like, now I have to fix my license. Keep in mind, I'm barely making ends meet. Yeah. Right? So it's like Take this. Take time off from work. Go to DMV. Get my license. And it's like a $200 fine that you have to pay. Plus, on top of that, you have to pay for your registration, which is another like 150 plus the taxes, whatever it is. And it's like a snowball effect. Yeah. It's a snowball effect. And I looked at myself. I, I remember telling myself, what would I do if I didn't have a job that paid me well enough? 
illegally be driving exactly. on an expired license or a suspended license yeah. and expired registration. Yeah. Because you've got it. And then work. you would go to jail yep. on the second time that they yep. pull you over. So, see, again, it's the system that is working against poor people. Yep. Right? Because rich people driving in a Lexus or driving in a Tesla nowadays, right, that have an expired registration, they would have been like, oh, sorry, you're good. It's fine. Just get it. Yeah, get it fixed. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Next time I see you, it better be fixed. Yeah. That's what would happen to them. Yeah. They wouldn't get a ticket. They sure as hell wouldn't have to go to court. No. And that's the thing, like, that's, that's what happened. I, I, it's personal experiences that you live by, yeah. you know, that, that, that's what happens. That's what the system was put in place for. And that's when people say, oh, you know, they just went to jail all the time. They're always in jail. Yeah. Because once you're in jail, you it's can't get out of jail. Being, it's a system. You get stuck. Yeah. You get stuck. And that's, and, and I'd like to have a conversation about this more in depth in another episode, for but sure. you know, this is. It all comes back to the system. Right. Right. And and, and when, when people like at, us, right, try to go in and change the system, whether it is by running or whether it is by being a candidate or, or getting involved into the political sphere, we are turned away by the people that are supposed to be our allies. Well, and here's the thing, and I want some people to hear me very loud and clear. Uh, it's going to get to a point where there's going to be more of us than you. Mm-hmm. So, mentally prepare for that. Right. Anyway, so we're going to wrap it up. Let us know what you think. Like, subscribe, comment. We'd love to see your feedback. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to contact us, Facebook, YouTube. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.